This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. On one day every January, a point in time or pit count is conducted in counties to document the number of people who are experiencing homelessness on a single night. The pit count in Collier County this past January found a 230% increase in the number of people over the age of 60 who were homeless as compared to the previous year. Overall, there was a 52% increase year over year of homeless individuals in Collier County. There are a number of overlapping factors leading to the increase, starting with high housing costs, plus the impacts from Hurricane Ian and to some degree the COVID-19 pandemic, all topped off with high costs due to inflation. This spike among seniors got the attention of the Wall Street Journal, and they recently published a story highlighting the growing crisis of homelessness among the senior population in the United States and used Collier County and Naples as one example. On today's show, we're checking in with the CEO of St. Matthew's House in Naples to get a sense of what they're facing. The 35-year-old faith-based nonprofit works to provide assistance to people experiencing homelessness and addiction, and they provide meals and help people find employment. I spoke with him earlier today. Let's hear that conversation now. Steve Bruder is CEO of St. Matthew's House in Naples. Steve, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Well, good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. So for starters, just tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how long you've been working in Southwest Florida and with St. Matthew's House. Sure. Um, Well, I came to St. Matthew's House going on 10 years ago. I was chief operating officer and then uh, a little over two years ago was named CEO. So I've been with the organization now going on 10 years. Um, I've been in Southwest Florida for about 23 years, originally from Pennsylvania. And of course, made the made the move to get out of the gray skies and the snowy winters. But um, love living in Southwest Florida. And my background was in business, but I had done a lot of volunteer nonprofit work. So this position at St. Matthew's House really marries uh, all of my background, and uh, it's it's been a great fit. And I'm I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. You worked with some NGOs outside of the U.S. at some point in your past, right? I did as the in that volunteer role, I actually served as the executive director in a volunteer capacity for a, a group that worked with NGOs, um, getting uh, people into closed countries and it was mostly engineers, teachers, medical workers. So it was very interesting. And I also did some volunteer work setting up uh, city gardens, those urban infill gardens, uh, worked with Housing Without Borders, that was a nonprofit that I set up to provide uh, fast deployable housing for folks in countries like Haiti. So um, yeah, just a lot of different work. My passion was edging into that nonprofit world while I was still working in the for-profit World. Understood. So tell us about St. Matthew's House before we get into this issue of, of homeless seniors in Southwest Florida, um, just as if you were describing it to somebody who you met and they say, what do you do? Oh, what does St. Matthew's House do? Describe it for us. Yeah, for 35 years now, we've been focused really on serving the homeless, the hungry, and the addicted. So that's our core focus, but we also um, do a lot of workforce development and that's moving our people from their crisis into becoming a contributor again with jobs and uh, housing. So we're very involved right now with creating more affordable housing. The core mission though, started with a soup kitchen to serve the hungry in Naples going back over 35 years. 
We've been doing that for every day since then. Um, that moved us into the need for a shelter. So we started with a temporary shelter and then we opened um, what is now the Campbell Lodge in 1994 as a 104-bed homeless shelter for men, women, and children. That's been expanded a couple times. We're just completing another expansion to get us up to 150 beds. And from there, the migration to the addiction recovery program came because we would see the same people in our homeless shelter that really needed recovery services. So we launched Justin's Place Recovery Program back in 2010 for men. And then in 2013, we started a women's program. So now that's been running all these years with over 800 men and women graduated from that year long residential recovery program. So it's, uh, we have a lot of uh, program activities and they're supported greatly by our social enterprises. We operate eight thrift stores. We have Lulu's Kitchen, which is a breakfast and lunch cafe and Delicious by Design, which is a catering company. And we operate the Port LaBelle Inn, which is a retreat and conference center. So those social enterprises not only provide jobs for the people that come through our programs, both the shelter and the recovery program, but they provide revenue to uh, support the mission. So that's a, it's a, it's a big ecosystem, but um, we've been doing it for a lot of years now. Yeah, and have grown to fill the needs as they arose, which I'm sure you're still working toward. Um, St. Matthew's House in the city of Naples were recently included in a story in the Wall Street Journal um, about the growing crisis of senior homelessness in the United States. And I'm wondering, did they include Southwest Florida and Naples uh, because it's particularly bad here, or is it just an example of a problem that's pervasive elsewhere? Yeah, they, the reporter reached out to us, I think, in part because she felt that Naples has typically been known to have a more senior population. Of course, we who live here know that that's been changing, but that was it uh, partly. But then I think the reporter also noticed that the point in time count, it's that annual January time when every county across the country tries to count every homeless person. And in Collier County, our point in time count showed a 230% increase in the number of homeless that were counted as homeless. So um, I think that probably drew the attention of the reporter as well. So we were, we were happy to respond. And I, I think she did a good job in the article of really highlighting this worsening crisis of senior homelessness that I think they also called it in the article, the silver tsunami. Uh, 230% increase, is that, that's representative of, of not necessarily just senior homelessness, or is it? That was just the senior homelessness. The uh, overall okay, number okay. of the people counted went up 52% year over year. But you can see that, that that homeless group was growing dramatically uh, year over year. So that just the homeless uh, over the age of 60 showed that 230% increase year over year. Is housing cost the primary driver of senior homelessness in this part of the country? I know we have high inflation right now, so costs are up for everyone. I'm sure there are tail issues from COVID and things like that, but is does it mostly come down to housing or is it more complicated than that? Well, it's housing 
complicates it. But you mentioned COVID. So with COVID, we saw, of course, a lot of isolation. Um, many seniors experienced that. And then we that went right into inflation, which caused more stress and depression. And then Hurricane Ian came along. So that triple threat with Ian actually physically displacing people, many of them seniors from their homes. And when they were displaced here in Southwest Florida, there was really no place that was affordable for seniors to go or people living on a fixed income. Aren't really any Section 8 units available. Uh, private landlords don't want to take a lower rent, lower the market rate to accommodate seniors. And even when we can get rental assistance dollars to help, the units aren't there. And that's that goes to this affordable housing crisis. There, there aren't enough units. We're drastically short in Collier County, as we are in many parts of the country, with um, affordable housing. How do people in general, or older people in this case, uh, connect with you at St. Matthew's House? How does that typically happen? Do they just come to you? Or are they connected through some other social service you know, network or something like that? Both. Uh, some people, unfortunately, they, they know how to get to a homeless shelter, but other agencies connect people to us. Uh, there's one case I just remember distinctly. It was a 90-year-old woman, and she just got disoriented and, and lost. She was in a rental car, and it was actually a grocery store employee that connected her with St. Matthew's House and actually followed her to St. Matthew's house um, where she stayed for a while and then we were able to place her with our case managers. But that's one example. There's just so many men and women that are just finding it tough to make it on a fixed income. You mentioned inflation, certainly the, the housing cost is there, but then add HOA fees, condo fees, price of gas, food, insurance, utilities, medical, and it's really tough if you're living on a fixed income, the average one bedroom apartment in Naples is $2,800 a month. Yet the typical social security check is $1,790 a month. So there's just a huge gap when you add in all the inflationary pressure. So many people just don't have any alternative. So they look, look to us as a homeless shelter. You know, back in 2008, 2009, during the beginning of the Great Recession, we would talk to the food banks and they would talk about the huge number of people who were coming who had never been to a food bank in their entire life and that were suddenly in that position. Is there an analogy to uh, seniors who are winding up homeless today? There is, uh, because we operate our, our food assistance program, which has just grown exponentially since covid we're still serving about 15,000 households every month with groceries and a large percentage of those are seniors. So we, we like to think of our food assistance program as a homeless prevention program. If somebody can get groceries a couple times a month to be able then to direct those resources, the, maybe the limited resources they have to buy fuel in their car and pay their rent, it can prevent them from tipping over to become homeless. So a large percentage of seniors do take advantage of our, our food distributions. And we, we deliver um, hot meals to several of the assisted living facilities and different agencies around town. 
And are there people who are turning up uh, as homeless for the first time in their lives who may have never expected that or seen that as a trajectory they might be on? That's another really fast growing segment of our population in the shelter. It's first time homelessness. So many typically think about chronic homeless folks that are living in a shelter in and out. But right after Ian, we saw a huge influx of first time homelessness. These were people just like you said, never expected to find themselves in a shelter, but they had nowhere to go with their home gone, car gone, possessions gone. So yes, we've seen a a big increase in first time homelessness. And then the other category is moms with children. That's another alarming and growing statistic in homelessness. I was reading up on the issue of of senior homelessness, and it seems like in many cases there's a nexus between whether people have children or families or support networks. Is Is it that, or are we in a different kind of dynamic here in Southwest Florida? Well, often uh, people are uh, disconnected with family. I think of many seniors, maybe they've lost a spouse, they're on their own, they've lost connection with families. So when they do come to us for help, our case managers work with them to try to get them reconnected with family. And that, that might mean having them be relocated. That's a big part of getting them back on their feet also referring them to other services in, in the community. So loss of connection to family is a big reason we, we like to talk about loneliness being one of the top causes for homelessness. Hmm. Um, what kind of resources are you able to connect them with in terms of temporary housing or things like that? And is the demand way more than the supply when it comes to that? Or, or just explain you know, what kind of help you can provide them in the temporary sense and whether you have enough of that kind of resource? The demand does uh, way outstrip the supply. The, along with a lack of affordable housing, as a country, we haven't built enough affordable assisted living facilities. And so they, they just don't exist. They're, they're very expensive for seniors in most cases. So again, people come to us. We operate the only two homeless shelters in Collier County. They seek us out for shelter. Now we work with them to try to place them in some alternative housing. If we can't reconnect them with family, it might look like shared housing. We are working with several landlords right now. In fact, that 90-year-old woman I mentioned we were able to place her in a home that somebody operates exclusively for seniors. So three senior women live in that home. They share the expense. And that's that's a, an option, but there just aren't enough of those. So it's it's a real problem with um, with supply for housing. Oftentimes with people who are chronically homeless, there's a mental health issue or substance abuse issue that's intertwined with it. Is that necessarily the case with the uptick in older people who are becoming homeless? No, we, we don't see that as much. You're right that um, co-occurring uh, mental illness and substance abuse are, are prevalent with uh, many homeless, but we don't see it as much with the seniors. It's it's really sad that people have have done okay and avoided any addiction, uh, now find themselves with nowhere to go. So 
it's primarily just they can't make it on a fixed income with the cost of living in Collier County. So it's um, it, it's a tough it's a tough situation. It seems like most of the forces who are causing this are not going anywhere anytime soon. Do you see this as a an issue that's going to continue to grow? We do. Uh, you, I think you mentioned early on the need for our services is growing, and certainly the need to care and support elders in our community is growing. Just because they can't they can't make it. We're looking at ways to modify some of our facilities. You know, when a senior person comes to a homeless shelter, lots of times there's there's obstacles. They, they may not be able to get in a top bunk in the shelter. They may, may need a walker or a wheelchair. Uh, they might need different facilities and showers or lavatories. So we're taking a look at all those and also seeking some additional training for our staff who aren't normally set up for that type, that level of care and support for a senior. In those cases, we, we will house them temporarily, but we're looking for a permanent solution where they can get that the real care and support that they need. Um, last question, because we're basically out of time. Um, you mentioned earlier that in your past life, you were a part of uh, Housing Without Borders, I think you called it. Um, do you think we need to rethink what housing means in this time in order to find affordable ways to provide roofs for people? We definitely do. Uh, shared housing is one of the approaches that I mentioned that I think can be developed and makes sense, especially with seniors that can cohabitate and um, just care for one another. But there's there's uh, tiny homes and different types of uh, concepts that I think we need to explore. And it it's partly dependent on zoning and what can be accepted in a community. But I think there's a definite need for alternatives to the housing crisis. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we have for this part of the show, but I'm glad I had a chance to talk with you, Steve. Uh, Steve Bruder is CEO of St. Matthew's House in Naples. Thank you so much for your time and the work that you all are doing and continue to do. Thank you, Mike. We're going to end today's show with the eighth installment of the audio essay series, Reflections of a Colored Girl from Dr. Martha Biretta, that have been airing weekly during Morning Edition and All Things Considered here on WGCU. Dr. Biretta was born in southwest Florida in 1945, but spent the first 10 years of her life in a small town in western Virginia before her family moved back to Punta Gorda, where they have deep roots. In my life, I have found myself as a colored a Negro, a Black, an African American, and a person of color. This is my reflection as a colored girl. Traveling as a colored child was my greatest adventure, while also experiencing unlimited inconveniences. The colored travel experience during Jim Crow could involve frustration, indignities, and even danger. Each summer, my grandmother Martha would hire one of her tenants to drive my cousin Skippy and I north to visit the family. The tires, engine, and water tank were checked thoroughly before each trip. She did not want a mishap or to need a repair while on the unfriendly road. The driver was also coached to maintain the speed limit, especially in small rural towns, and to always be aware of law enforcement. 
Granny would pack a delicious lunch of fried chicken, fruits, pound cake, and other goodies that would last the entire trip. Our gas tank was never less than half filled, and before filling up at a gas station, the driver would inquire if there was a colored restroom. If there was one, it was usually filthy. If there wasn't one, we moved on. When we crossed the Mason-Dixon line, we were able to eat in restaurants on the freeway. Big Boys was always our first stop, a tradition I continued with my own children. My greatest anxiety, however, was reserved for my father, who would travel by car to and from Virginia. While my family did not talk about being colored in America, the specter of violence always loomed, especially as it related to Daddy, a colored male. This was always a fearful time for me, my mother, my whole family. Without fail, Daddy would be stopped in Jessup, Georgia. Boy, you're driving too fast. Or, boy, you're driving too slow. Daddy learned to expect this and would carry enough extra money to pay the fine rather than driving on lonely back roads. I can only imagine the fear that Daddy must have felt, the imaginings that went through his head. My colored Daddy endured this each trip. He had to stand with his head bowed, eyes lured, voice passive. He swallowed the anger as he had been trained to do. But at what cost? What did this do to his pride? As a man, how must he have felt being subservient to another man? A man who in those moments had my father's life in his hands. But my father had no choice. One wrong move, one indicator of being a man, of having dignity, could have cost my father his life. That's what Traveling Colored was like. Dr. Martha Beretta is an author and lecturer and director of the Blanchard House Museum of African American History and Culture in Punta Gorda. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org GCL, or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90. WMKO Marco Island, 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.